Let me pray for us as we get ready and we prepare our hearts for the Word of God. Lord God, thank you for gathering us here tonight together. Lord, we pray that our mission, which is on the bulletin, wouldn't just be some nice-sounding words, wouldn't just be some words that we use to advertise, but be a living reality that we would be a people that make disciples of Jesus, that become a family together for the good of Gloucester and beyond. Lord, we pray for that. We pray that that would be a reality. Lord, right now it's a seed, it's a dream, but Lord, we pray that you would birth it into reality in the months and years to come. Lord, we pray that as we enter into your word and we, we look at the whole issue of baptism, would we not be divided on it in, in the sense that we may have been taught different things about baptism, but I pray we wouldn't major on those things that divide us, but I pray Lord, that we would be blown away by the reality of it. That we wouldn't fight over the sign of it and forget what it signifies and forget that we can be people who die to ourselves and become new people. That we are buried with you and arisen again with you. That we were unclean and you make us clean. Lord, I pray that we would be blown away by the basic gospel as we look at this topic of baptism. Lord, I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So this month, all of January, we are in this series called Starting Over. And the whole idea is we're asking the question, can you start over? Maybe you haven't been to church in a really long time. Maybe you had some bad things happen in a, in a Christian community. You know, it being a Christian community doesn't make it any less a community of humans where bad things happen, right? And we're asking the question, what does it look like is it possible to start it over? Maybe it has nothing to do with what you experienced in church. Maybe, you know, doubts and questions just started to rise up in your heart, in your soul, and you're wondering, like, is any of this real? You're wondering, could this even be true? And that little seed of doubt has become this oak. <laughs> and at this point, it's like, I don't know, can I start over? <laughs> can, can I look at this again? Can I pick this thing back up that I devoted a lot of emotional investment, a lot of time, a lot of myself into? But guess what? Yeah, something big like God, like religion, is something that is going to take a lot of you. Like, that's the idea of devotion. That's the whole idea of you giving yourself to something. But the thing is, 
is if we entrust ourselves into something or someone or some community and then they let, it, let us down, that hurts more than anything else. That hurts more than anything. When something crazy happens in our lives and we go to the priest, we go to the pastor and we ask, you know, why did this have to happen? And they just sort of give a non-answer and then they're just not there for you. A lot of us have had these kinds of experiences. And so all month we're looking at different huge, huge grounding issues of what it looks like to jump back into a life following Jesus and being a part of his community. Last week, we talked about the new birth. Talked about, you know, from the conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus, where Nicodemus came to him at night and said, what must, you know, what, what must I do? And he says, you got to be born again. And Nicodemus was like, what? I got to, like, how am I going to crawl back in? Like, what are you talking about? Like, now we've sanitized it. Now we spiritualized it. Now we have no clue how shocking it must have been to this teacher of the law to have this guy who seemed like a holy guy saying something that sounded completely ridiculous. But it was true. He said, look, you got to start all over again. you got to be born of the Spirit. You gotta be born of God. We talked a little bit about what that looks like and how your life begins to change. And how we tend to judge people. Uh, you know, we sort of split people up like you're a decent person, you're kind of a trashy person. You're 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 like a person I'd want to be a friend with, you're not, you're too judgmental, you're too whatever. We all we, we don't have the same ways we split people up, but we all split people up based on the way we think. And the thing is, even when we're like, well, I'm not like them, that, you know, you, can't you immediately see the irony in that? I'm not judgmental like them. What are we doing in that very moment? <laughs> right? You know, the old saying, when you got one finger pointed at somebody, you got three pointing back at you. So can, can we start over? We're saying yes. We're saying, yes, you can start over with all of it. And tonight we're going to talk about baptism. And like a little bit of history of baptism, you remember right in the beginning of the New Testament, it wasn't Jesus. But who, who started baptizing people? John. John started baptizing the Israelites, right? The Jewish people. And this was a ritual that someone would have to do. It was part of the process to become ritually clean if you wanted to be a God-fearing Gentile. If you wanted to become a God-fearing Gentile, you would have to undergo this entire immersion, this entire this baptism where you would become ceremonially clean. Now, you, you still couldn't go into the, like, 
you know, some of the sections of the temple that were really holy and only for the ethnically Jewish people. But you got the you got to hang around the outskirts and you got to you got to be a fearer of God and you got to have some benefit that came with that. And you can imagine how offensive John's message was. When he goes around, he's not baptizing Sumerians. He's not baptizing Greeks, Italians. He's not baptizing Egyptians, Ethiopians. Who's he baptizing? Jews. And he's saying, you know what? Like, you need to start from ground zero. The kingdom of God is coming. You need to be clean. Like, there's someone coming after me. He said, I'm not even worthy to tie his shoelaces. He's coming and he's going to bring salvation. But guess what? We need to be cleansed. And of course, that cleansing was a ritual cleansing. And we'll get back to that. But like all of the law, all of the Old Testament, which is the Bible, right, for those um, those who are Jewish, it has many laws. It has over 600 laws. There are over 600 different laws. And they're all kind of about two different things. The, the, it's, they're all kind of about cleanliness. It's a big deal. Cleanliness and distinctiveness. Right? So you couldn't have, you couldn't wear a shirt with like two different kinds of fabric in it. And you couldn't eat milk and meat at the same time. But you could eat them, right? There's, there's all these kinds of laws. And, and some of them had to do with, like, legit, like, they pointed to cleanliness. And some of them had to do with, I want you to just be really different from all the nations in the world. Morally and ritually in your diet, in your dress, in how you farm, in how you do all of your life, I want you to stand out as a light to the nations. But John came <laughs> to those who, you know, God had this covenant with, this promise with, this special relationship with, and John says, guess what? You guys, we all need to be clean we all need to be cleansed. Let me, let me kind of attack this in two different ways. I'm going to look at what baptism isn't and what it is. First of all, it isn't magic. It, it isn't something that happens like some, some Christians believe and talk about baptism like it, it is the actual act that the Spirit of God comes in you and you're regenerate. Like, it does it. And so there, there's been in history this entire whole idea of, like, if your baby dies before the eighth day, before you can have the baby baptized, they go to limbo. Like, the actual act. And then we see things in the New Testament. We see Jesus on the cross. And we see the guy right next to him, the thief, who pledges allegiance to Jesus. How much theology did the guy on the cross have? How much stuff did the guy on the cross know about Jesus? Did he know that Jesus was fully God, fully man? Did he understand the Trinity? 
Did he know like, okay, we got to accept the Old Testament and the New Testament? Did he know all this like Sunday school stuff? He didn't know it. But he saw a holy man. And he said, I want to be with you. I'm putting my, all my chips on the Jesus red circle. You're like, I don't know, Pastor. We don't, we don't go to AC. We're holy. I don't know what you're talking about. Chips on what are you talking about? But like, you're putting all, all your chips in one spot. And Jesus says, guess what? Today you're going to be with me in paradise. Wasn't baptized. Didn't go to a single church service. But he had more reason to have assurance than any of us do. Because from the very lips of Jesus, he heard, you will be with me today after you die. It's also not this special confirmation. Because that's the other way we think of it magically. We think like, you know, well, we don't want to baptize people unless we like completely know a thousand percent sure that they really are a Christian. And, 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 you know, you can have, that's like the opposite end of the whole, like, let's baptize the baby so they don't go to limbo. On the other end, it's like, let's wait forever. And in the early church, there, was, there, there were people who would wait on their deathbed to be baptized. Because they're like, I want to do all my living, you know, as long as I can, and then I want to get wet <laughs> right before I die. So I have my best chance. And, and baptism is not like this crazy, like, guess what? Pastors don't have magical abilities to look into your soul and know actually you are genuine. We don't. So guess what that means? That means that like people get baptized who... Some of them are legit, and some of them aren't. But it's good. Yeah. I want you to have a reason to believe. Like, now we're going to get into this, the, the issue of, like, how exactly do we view baptism? That's really important. How do we view baptism here at Epiphany Church? This is like one of those moments where like, like nobody's happy, right? Because we all like come from different churches and we have these different ways of looking at it. But, uh, but it's kind of like parenting, okay? It's really, really important that you have a unified vision of how you're going to parent your kids. So when I do premarital counseling, if I'm going to marry someone, I'm not just going to do it. I'm not just going to like stand in and be the symbolic whatever glue and co-sign your marriage. Like I want to meet with you and make sure like uh, and 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 one of the most important things is that you have something close to the same idea of what it means to raise children. But guess what? We need to be very accepting of a whole lot of ways of raising kids. But in a marriage, you kind of need just like one. 
right? Now, now, there are things we can say are definitely not. And I already did that, right? I came right out the bat, and I just said, you know, it, baptism is not magic. Like, you know what I mean? And in parenting, it's the same thing. Like, all right, there are some parenting philosophies that, that are just, they're just bad, just straight up bad. Like, for example, the kind of parenting philosophy where you use your kids as an object to, like, t- to put out your But on the other extreme, the like child-centric, never say no to your kids, <laughs> is equally as bad. I remember that my wife was working for this, this family. They were both doctors downtown, and they had like this, we don't believe in restricting our children or ever saying no to them. We don't want to crush their spirits. So like, this little toddler would like wail on my wife, like boom, boom, like in the face, right? And, and they were like, what you need to do, what you need to do with, with uh, little Johnny is you need to hold their hands, but not tightly, and you say, these hands are for loving. Right? Right? So what I'm here to say is that there is like a band Neglecting them and crazy child centric, like your kids are little angels. Guess what? They're not, and they need to be guided, they need to be taught, they need to be corrected. Sometimes you gotta raise your voice. <laughs> Sometimes you gotta you gotta let them know what you did, like you're never gonna do again, and you're gonna experience bad things. Right? We need to we need to set boundaries for our kids. Well, it's the same thing on baptism. We don't want to be the type of church where it's like, this is the way we do baptism, and unless you think exactly like this, you can't be here. Right? And like, you can have a whole lot of different ways you parent your kids. But then there are some ways you parent your kids we're going to talk to you about. Like, hey. <laughs> hey, you're going too far. <laughs> you know, so, so this is really important. As a church, we Baptize however you want. So what does it look like for our tradition? How do we look at it? We believe that baptism is a sign and a seal. So that comes out of a confession of faith, that baptism is a sign and a seal. It's like I'm... It's a sign and a seal. The way a wedding ring is, so you can, you, 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 what happens is like you change your future when you get married, and you might change your name, and you change like the direction of your life. And it, it means it's, it's that. Let's, let's look real quick at the Great Commission. It's in Matthew 28. Verse 19, and I can read it for you for your hearing, or you can turn there if you'd like. It says, go 
therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. But what do we see here? We see baptism is a sign placed on disciples, placed on those people who will be taught to follow. What? What does it say? What are they supposed to follow? It's right in the text. And you can say it. (laughs) What does it say? Teach them. Teach them like a few things. Yeah, teach them everything that I have commanded, right? But, but what happens, this is how we look at it, along with um, a big chunk of the church, along with um, Lutherans, we're, you know, congregations, along with Presbyterians, along with the Eastern Church, the, the Catholic Church. What we believe is baptism is the sign, the discipleship, the teaching comes after the baptism. So the signs placed on those who are signed up for discipleship. Now, if you're an adult and you've never been baptized, nobody can just do that to you, right? Nobody can just, like, you, you can duck out of the way. You're like, I don't want that sign. I don't want name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit on me. Don't put the ring on my finger. But when you're a kid... When you're in a Christian home, in a covenant family, we believe that you baptize your kids. And the reason that we do that is because we believe that they are disciples. Because like I said before, baptism is not about being like this special test where now we've confirmed that you are legitimately born again. But what it is, is it's a sign that you're a part of God's physical family on earth. It's a sign that you're part of the family, and kids are as part of a family as much as we are. And so that's how we do it. But like I said, you might be like, I'm not there, and that's okay. You raise your kids the way you raise your kids, we raise our kids the way we're going to raise our kids, and we're not going to make it a thing where it's like you got to think exactly like that, right? But we're saying this is how we do it as a Congregationalist Church. And when you start to look at it this way, you're like, okay. Now I kind of understand when I like reading in Acts and I see families getting baptized together over and over again. How did that happen? You won't like the answer. The way that happened was the matriarch or the patriarch of the family decided we're going to be baptized. This is how you did it in the first century. Your whole household, the people that worked in the house, (laughs) you know what I mean? Everybody. This is what we're going to do. And, you know, nowadays that's like hard to hear, right? Because it's like I want to raise my kids up to make their choice when they grow up. They're going to choose. I'm going to teach them everything. I'm going to teach them all the religions. And then they're going to choose. You know what? When you do that, you've already chosen You've already chosen a different religion. You've already chosen that, guess what? This stuff ain't really that important. It's just your personal taste. 
It's unavoidable. So baptism is like that wedding ring. Like I myself was baptized as a, as a child. And guess what? My family wasn't in it. They didn't, they haven't been to church in like forever. And, and, but guess what? I was baptized in the name of a father, son, and Holy Spirit. And the way I look at it is like this. Some people get married and say they get married like 30 years ago and they get that ring and they go walking into marriage and they're like, yeah, we're probably going to have like an open marriage. You know, you sleep with whoever. Um, and, and you might be looking at me strange like there are people like this. Yeah, we know them. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's lots of people like this. And it, it, it's, it's just like they're entering into a relationship and their understanding of it, we would argue, is completely wrong. But they do it anyway. They got the ring. And say 15 years after being married, they're like, you know what? A lot of pain, a lot of betrayal, a lot of just us being dumb and young and, and, and not understanding things. And a lot of us like being separated and coming back together, separated and coming back together. Guess what? We're going to let God tell us how and what marriage is. And we're going to follow his plan for us. And guess what? If they want, if they want to get a new ring to commemorate that, to symbolize that as the start of their marriage, guess what? They can do that. And if somebody in this community wanted to, to rededicate or renew their vows, we would do that, right? And if you wanted to, you got baptized really a long time ago, but it's been a long time since you've been following Jesus and you wanted to get baptized now, to, to, to commemorate that, we would do that. But if you wanted to say, look what God did. He redeemed this marriage that meant nothing to us. And this ring symbolizes all the history, good and bad, that we had together. And we're just going to keep with this ring. We're good with that, too. We ain't going to force you and say, you've got to be rebaptized. That's not how we do it. So baptism expands the covenant sign in every way. In the Old, Co Old Testament, the Old Covenant, what was the sign? Anybody know? Circumcision. Who can be circumcised? Guys, right? And not just any guy, but you had to be a Jewish guy, right? So in the New Testament, it expands in every way. So now the sign can be put on men, but it also can be put on women. And it can also be put on any person, whether wherever they are on the face of the earth, whatever their tribe is, whatever their race is, whatever they look or sound like, they can have baptism. So the sign of the new covenant expands in every way from men to women, from one tribe to all tribes. And so we would argue, why would it also, why would it expand in every way and then shrink in one way before children could be circumcised, but now only adults can be baptized? The, the, Jesus, um, when Peter preaches several times. He says over and over again, repent and be baptized, you and your children. 
But again, this is a point of our belief. You can argue, understandably so, show me the name of the child, the actual baptismal receipt from the New Testament of the infant that was baptized. And guess what? I cannot produce that for you. I cannot produce. Like this particular child was, you know, two months old and was baptized. See, it's in the Bible there. (laughs) Slam dunk. Can't do that. So that's why we respect we respect, like, that's your conviction. You're going to want to wait till your kids get older. We'll wait till your kids get older with you. We're okay with that. All right. Let me end with, with this. The sign, the sign points to a greater reality, right? The sign of the water is a sign of cleansing. It's a sign of burial, sign of death and new life. It's, you know, there's, and the, the idea, the baptismal, the Greek word, and the, throughout the whole Bible is used in all those ways. It's used as sprinkling. It's used as dipping. It's used as immersion. Just like the sign of communion, which uh, Ben is going to talk about next week, where we have the fruit of the vine and the bread. And the word, the Greek word for the, for the bread is not unleavened bread, but just kartos, just daily regular bread. Like the same thing as like you pray, give us our daily bread, right? Now, a few months ago, there was this edict that was given out from the Vatican that no, we are not going to have gluten-free option. We're not going to have a gluten-free option because you know like the whole gluten-free thing has become a huge deal in the recent years. And... Um, the whole, point, the whole reason they say that is because it has to be wheat. It has to be wheat. It has to be unleavened bread, and it has to be from wheat. I have friends that are missionaries in Papua New Guinea. This is like truly the edge of the earth. It's a little, little island, set of islands uh, right above Australia. And they go in there and they share Jesus with people who are disconnected, have never seen anyone, any outsider, don't even know about the other tribes half the time that live on the other side of the mountain. They're extremely cut off. And guess what? Nobody on this island has ever heard of anything called bread. They have no wheat. They also have no grapes. And much of the world has, was like this. And here comes the question. Here comes the question with immersion and with like a specific kind of bread and a specific kind of wine and all that stuff. What's more important, the sign or the reality? So is it important for the people in Papua New Guinea? Like, nope, you got to have wheat and you got to have wine. Like, we're going to teach you to grow it or you're illegitimate. Or was bread more like when Jesus was praying? And nobody thinks literally when they pray, give us our daily bread. Nobody's thinking like, like literally, Lord, there's this like Panera bread that I want today. It's got to be wheat. Can't be gluten-free. Right? Nobody's thinking that. Nobody's thinking that. We would argue that the, like, so what we'll do often is we'll sprinkle people right? We'll, we'll sprinkle people in the name of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But if people want to be baptized and immersed, we'll do that too. 
I mean, we're in a building that has one right here. You want to do it? We'll fill it up. I'll make sure the water's really cold so you never ask for it again. But, <laughs> but, but for real, um, you know, what we're doing in this season, it's very unusual. Yeah, right? We're not like a, we're not in regular church mode. We are defining things. We're, we're expressing things. We're, we're having a ton of meals together, and we're, we're building up a sense of family. And I just thank you. If you, like, just showed up, like, randomly, and you're like, what in the world? Like, this is not our normal mode where we get, like, super, like, into super practical stuff. But we've been doing that every week because we want to build up a foundation for the future. We're looking to launch on March 18th. And uh, what that means is we will be trying to sit down with a lot of you and have um, just an interview and see if you would like to be members here. If you would like to come up here and say, yeah, I want to make this my church. And what that means is in a congregational church, it means you'd have a lot of responsibility. And, and, and because uh, we don't have a bishop, the one who can fire me would be immediately you. <laughs> You join the church, right? And our, like, that's how the accountability structure works, like be accountable to, to, to the people in the church. And so if you have not been baptized, or like that, that marriage situation, you were, but it, did, it didn't have the meaning to you. You want to be baptized again. Um, that's something that we would like to do on March 18th. And next week, we're going to talk about communion, and we want to start taking communion, Right? And it, it feels like a drought for me because I've never been this long without taking communion on the regular. And, and, and the, the, the richness, that, that, that tangible gospel, right? Like Jesus' body broken for you. That tangible message of his love, his blood poured out for you. Um, I want you to know that if you have more questions about either of these issues, baptism or communion, please feel free to talk to me. I know that we weren't in a whole lot of text, which is unusual. It's not how we usually do it. We're deep in the word. But I promise you that I can talk to you about a whole lot of text if you want to talk to me. We wanted to cover a whole lot of ground in not so short of a time. <laughs> so let me pray for us. Father God, thank you for every single person here. Thank you for gathering us together, Lord. I, I love the image of baptism. I love that um, no matter what culture you're from, water is life. Water is cleansing. Lord, we pray that because we're here, that water would run for people to be baptized who have not grown up in any kind of church. And, Lord, I pray that we would be a place where folks are loved where they're at and continue to be able to continue to ask questions and just be able to grow more and more in the knowledge of you. Lord, I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.